Welcome to the Superstruck Show, the podcast for founders who depend on devs to get things done. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Tyler Bushnell. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. Uh, so as, as you mentioned, Tyler Bushnell is my name. Um, I started my career as a uh, developer, um, spent 10 years building back-end and front-end software applications, um, and then uh, started my own company called Polycade. Uh, we make modern arcade products, um, everything from the software to the hardware, um, and a bunch of stuff in between. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Tyler's, uh, everything that, that he's done with Polycade has just been absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I know a lot of celebrities have really, um, you know, taken quite a shine to, to stuff that you've made and, um, yeah, super cool things. But for people, uh, listening, can you maybe give like some examples about, yeah, what, what you've had to build on the, the hardware software side? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the arcade space is an interesting one because, um, you know, a lot of products exist in both commercial environments and in residential environments. Um, and so ours is one of those. We actually started focused on the commercial space mm -hmm. and then we got pandemic. Um, <laughs> so we built out the consumer side of our platform. Um, but so... Uh, through all of that, you know, we now have a, a software platform that addresses both use cases, which um, are pretty different. Um, and so our software platform is essentially like a client server scenario where we have a, a client app that runs, it's like an executable that runs on our arcade machines. Um, and then we have the server side, which uh, is both like a web admin system and then, you know, all the backend web services that, that manage, um, you know, connect the dots between the web admin system and the, the client software on the machines. Mm -hmm. um, so our software can do things like, you know, from our web admin system, we can uh, push games down to individual arcade machines. Um, we pull analytics from those arcade machines and we can view them um, in this admin system. Um, we can change like screensavers on the arcade machines. And um, the when we, we built out the consumer side of the software, uh, we built in a game store. So similar to Steam or Epic Games, our software has a, a built-in game store that players can go in and buy games from us. Um, and then uh, we also have features like um, the ability to change the like UI experience on our machines to make it appropriate for different use cases. Mm -hmm. uh, whether there's a machine in a bar, uh, operates on a pay-to-play basis um, to a machine in like a doctor's office, which is a mm -hmm. relatively common use case, surprisingly. Um, and you know a bunch of other different types of places that have unique uh, needs. Man, I just uh, it just kind of reminded me that that when I was way younger, there was I think it was like a haircut place that had like in the waiting room like arcade machines, and 
like that was my favorite thing ever so i could totally imagine like pediatricians officers things like that like realizing how how important stuff like this is but um just so everyone kind of understands the the trajectory tyler i'd say you you eventually you originally started off uh with the idea for this like arcade machine that was like basically really good looking like could really fit in to a lot of places that didn't just look like the old like you know 70s or 80s like garish type of thing and then could also play a lot of different games it wasn't like it's just like this just plays one game and so um originally you know i think when i saw polycade the coolest thing about it was that it could play all the retro games with the controls and so tyler i think you initially did a lot of that work to get the um like the buttons and the and the joysticks and everything working um you know in a particularly you know good way uh and then and then on top of that you also got the you know there's a a pc on the inside and figuring out how to get that all playing nicely and launching games in a in a way that wasn't um uh, a disaster and then over time you had you know more demands uh from as you were saying like commercial and then residential and then eventually to the point that you basically built out your own uh app store game store like full full platform which i think is is really impressive like at at what point did you stop doing the development and stop getting things you know working yourself and then move to like hiring other people to do it yeah so we um yeah the we went through i basically launched the company in a kickstarter campaign knowing just about nothing about hardware and manufacturing i'd like you know made a few prototypes in my garage um after that kickstarter campaign i spent about two and a half almost three years figuring all that manufacturing stuff out still figuring it out these days (laughs) uh there's always optimizations to be made yeah um but uh then we went through a startup accelerator and at that point because we had had machines in the field for a few years um we were starting the originally we shipped our our residential machines with steam as the ui um Mm -hmm. and at that like three-year mark uh we were we knew that i mean steam was a complete disaster on these machines right like Mm -hmm. if you're not a gamer and like a sort of tech person and computer person like steam is just really difficult and there's a lot of nuances and like and what uh, yeah i won't get into that but we knew that we needed a different solution um it was about that time that we were getting into a startup accelerator with Techstars. um and so this and you know we were going to be focusing on that commercial slice of the market um and there was absolute i mean aside from like licensing stuff um there was just no way steam was gonna you know a home user could barely use it uh Mm -hmm. a a commercial environment would be like a completely a complete disaster so Mm -hmm. uh i got building the first version of the software myself um to a point where you know it's basically just a simple launcher ui um 
kind of had played with a lot of like emulator software, so I knew the general like ideas behind the the architecture. Um, so stood that stuff up, um, got it to a point where it would like do well launching games and closing them. Um, mainly, you know, I had to kind of choose a few different types of games so specifically mm -hmm. like emulators and roms and then a few like standalone executables um and so got all that working at a, a decent spot and we kind of left it there uh for maybe like nine months to a year until um we raised our first venture capital round mm -hmm. we we had a, a an early developer actually now that i think about it that um started making some edits to the software during that period mm -hmm. um but it sounds like that wasn't exactly what they were hired for gosh now that i let's see <laughs> <laughs> i think we we hired that first developer um just when we were starting our fundraise mm -hmm. um, to make sure that we had something happening. Um, mm. I, I don't really remember what they were working on initially. I think just optimizing some of the like bugs in our software and things like that. Got it. Um, so it sounds like it wasn't, that wasn't when like the big feature build out was happening though. No. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the, the big feature build out came after we, raised our first round of venture capital and hired a small team and um, really started pushing on the software. Mm -hmm. And how did you approach uh, finding developers so that you could get the product built? So that first develop, you know, funny story, actually, we had a, a developer or a, a guy that was helping us on the manufacturer, or just assembly side for a while that had just been through a boot camp hmm. and like, we held him back from, uh, he was like, I want to code, I want to code. And like, I just went through this boot camp and we held him back from doing that just because we were like, not confident in like the boot camp like result or whatever. Right. Um, you, did you want to be like the first patient for the surgeon to operate on? Like, ever? yeah, that totally, <laughs> totally. And, and there was also, this was also connected to the fact that like he was doing some pretty critical work on the assembly side that like we mm -hmm. would have had yeah. to find someone else to do. Sure. Um, but I mentioned this because he, like, once we let him at the code, like he quickly became our star developer. <laughs> mm. Um, but so that, that guy aside, uh, the um, the other guy we found, uh, I don't even remember where we found him. It was some, maybe even like Craigslist or something. Mm -hmm. um, like job, job posting type deal? Job posting, something like that. Um, yeah, I don't really remember. Um, mm -hmm. He, we hired him because... Uh, he just, he seemed like a good, like all in one developer, hmm. uh, um, you know, full stack, like reminded me a lot of, you know, a lot of myself actually. Mm -hmm. Um, so I liked that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you knew what you were getting into. I, ideally. Right. Yeah. And, and later we, you know, I mean, after having read your manifesto, David, um, <laughs> 
I now know that this was like a one of the, you know 10x developer. Um, mm. it, it later ended up causing some problems in uh, managing people and and choosing te- certain technologies and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, you know temperament was was difficult, very stubborn, um, mm-hmm. and that that that's that's a tough one in a team environment, especially for someone who is like the team leader mm-hmm. um yeah yeah this so, is I mean, that that burned that, us a couple times actually and i can touch on the second time mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i think i'd be i think the, the questions that i have in my mind are like would there have been a different environment or different circumstances where you would choose someone like that or is it the type of thing where that's just probably not compatible like with when you need to get stuff like this done um i think that like a couple things are important the like you know developers and this is again like something you mentioned in your manifesto developers like to play with new toys right new technologies and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um figure out new puzzles to solve um that i feel like is that's a bad i mean that's good if it's used as like experimental and not like we're gonna pick this new technology that i don't Mm. really understand and haven't really worked much with for (laughs) like our production project that needs to be completed in like this time frame like that is don't do that ever like (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and then also i think there's like you know something to be said about technologies that are common Mm -hmm. versus technologies that are uncommon Mm -hmm. um just because and you know maybe like the uncommon one's better, but like if you can't find more developers for it, like that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, think about the the power that a developer will have over the company if they're literally the only one that can like work on your products. Totally. Like you, like you kind of just have to do whatever they they want, and so that's totally cool if you're on the same page and aligned but that's a that's a tough thing to to guarantee um the i I think the things that that you're touching on um there's a there's a really famous uh i guess it was a talk and then it it, there's a blog post version and the the title is choose boring technology and i i think it's yeah i'll put it i'll put the link in the in the show notes but one of the one of the things that 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 it i think a good way to think about it um, from this talk, this, this, uh, post is that you really only have so many things that you can like work on at a time. Like you only have, he calls them innovation credits. And oftentimes as a founder, like you are, your product is new because otherwise like, why are you even doing it? Like you're, you're trying to create something for the first time just with your company. And so that alone is going to present so many unknowns and challenges and all kinds of 
weird problems that you're going to have to solve. And the problem with choosing, as you say, uncommon technology is that that's going to be another source of these unknowns and issues and weird things that, that come up. And it is, uh, it can be really costly to have too many of those going on at the same time. And so if you choose a much more common technology or a common database or, or something like that, common programming language, it might feel like you are using something old or not as powerful or um, you know ugly or slow or, or whatever it is. Um, but I think it is wise to sort of temper those criticisms a little bit because there is a lot of value in having something predictable. If like effectively millions of people have gone down that road before, you are not going to be the first one to experience a problem, which you are going to be having enough of with your own company. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> One thousand percent. And I've actually got a funny, uh, like it, now it's a ha ha. Actually, it's still, works, <laughs> but <laughs> I've got a case example of exactly yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, our we I mentioned we have an analytics system. Uh, we used to have a much better analytics oh, system. Geez. Oh, geez. <laughs> and so, uh, when we first got our, our or hired our initial dev team. Um, we had a, what I would at the time call like kind of a junior dev, but really smart kid. Um, and he stood up an analytics platform in, uh, Google BigQuery, um, with like, uh, what's the other, like the visual data studio, data studio. Thank you. Yeah. I think they call it looker now, but continue. Uh, looker's different. I think. Oh, yeah. It's like okay. a layer on top of Data Studio or got something it. like that. Um, I got pitched by the Looker team pretty hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so uh, he stood up these reports that were like, they were great. Like we had incredible insight into everything. We had like this like crazy ability to drill down. Um, it was very like lego ish so like mm -hmm. me being a developer like i could get in there and like screw around with stuff and make new reports and like put new pie charts on and like it was fantastic yeah because um, you didn't need to to write any code to to add or like move things around right it was just totally all, yeah ui yeah yeah and he, he stood this up quickly like within in like a month or something um mm -hmm. and the during the pandemic we, you know, all of those reports were sort of aimed at our commercial use case. So we, we sort of stopped looking at them during the pandemic um, and while well, we built out our consumer side of the platform. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time we got back to them, like uh, these, you know, the reports were also like not, I wouldn't call them finished. Um, mm -hmm. And some components had fallen into disrepair um, there were like a few hacks we had put in those reports to like make them work. Like, you know, a Google sheet that had a bunch of like ID lookups or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so at some point they fell into disrepair. 
we also no longer had that dev that stood them up. Like we mm. had to turn mm -hmm. that team part of the team over. Um, and so, uh, our new dev team, like just for whatever reason, could not like, could not get them working again. Or didn't want um, to. <laughs> or didn't want to. And, <laughs> and like, lo and behold suggested like, oh, Amazon has this like other tool that uh, the name escapes me now. Um, I'd have to look up what it is, but uh, that is like a unstructured data lake, blah, blah, blah. Um, and like an, enables us to do all this cool query stuff and I don't know, whatever. Unlimited scale and so yeah, whatever. Yeah. All right. the sales, the, they're just like, they're just echoing back all the sales language at you. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we move forward playing around with this and like one month turns into two months, turns into three months with like basically no visibility into anything. Ugh. Um, oh, that and makes my like, heart hurt. Yeah. And we, we start escalating the dev team to like, okay, we don't know how this shit works and there's no visibility into this tool or what it's doing. And like the internet doesn't know. So like, <laughs> let's start paying like AWS for like special sessions with their engineers to like oh figure out what's happening in here. Guess what? AWS's engineers don't know how it works. Oh <laughs> oh. So, oh. and like, God. meanwhile, our Ouch. AWS bills like loading in all this data into this freaking data lake our, our aws bills are like going off the charts oh, um like like seven eight x what they were previously oh, boy. um like seven thousand dollars a month on just this like ouch you know whatever data lake bullshit oh um, man and, <laughs> i'm sorry and, yeah long story short <laughs> It never worked. We never got it oh, working. And never, that, and wow. like I was writing our CTO for this, these reports for over six months. Um, wow. And ultimately it was the reason that we parted ways with him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. like, yeah, like looking back, I mean, was there like how, like, yeah, it's like, what, what's the advice that you would, let's pretend that I don't know, some sort of weird timeline alternate dimension thing. And you could like go back and be like, like an advisor or like you're on the board. Like, what do you tell that founder? Like, how do you, it's so easy the, cause we already had something that worked and was great. Mm -hmm. Like just do that again. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, if you can't do it when this junior dev did like, boom, Red alert. <laughs> Find yeah, a different I mean, CTO. So like, here, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So like here, I mean, kind of the question that I have though, is like, you knew that at the time. So like, right. Cause I, I mean, that, that was probably pretty obvious to you, but like what I'm like, just trying to figure out what the rule is. Cause, cause like you kind of knew that you had this other thing. I guess the idea was just that it was always coming. 
like well at the time you always thought it was just going to be like another couple of weeks or yeah exactly yeah it was always Mm -hmm. like oh it's just around the corner and Mm -hmm. you know i think you know going into the like rebuild it was like either we're rebuilding on this same system that we already used right Mm -hmm. and like just starting over with you know bigquery and and um data Data studio Studio, or like there's this cool tech that like could give us a lot more power like we might as well start over on that right Mm -hmm. um and then we'll have a better system right Mm -hmm. but and like you know the same features were sold to me like I'll have the ability to go in and like play with this like Legos, but better Legos, right? <laughs> um, and so, like, it comes back to the like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, mm. we knew the first thing worked. We already had seen it play out. Like, we had like, you know, it worked with our current like da- log, our current like mm-hmm. data logs of all of our mm-hmm. analytics like we knew everything worked and that it got stood up quickly mm-hmm. so like why go into an unknown when we're on a startup time schedule do you remember what the i assume i guess this was the cto that was like the prime like supporter of going down this road i mean do you remember how he convinced you or were it was you just, just like it was just like his decision and you were out of it type of deal. No, it was it was definitely along the lines of like, you know, we have to rebuild this from scratch anyways. And mm. you know, like might as well do it on a better tool set. Got it. And do you remember what the better was? Like I'm kind of curious what the what the criteria Let is. Me I might. You mean like in what the specific? I just, yeah, I just like AWS from yeah. I mean, I mean, here's where here's where I'm coming from is like I'm really trying to to like figure out how to like you know let's say someone's listening to this right now and they wind up having a CTO that makes similar arguments. What I'm trying to figure out is like what is that question that you could have asked that would have prevented a lot of pain. And so in my mind, it's something along the lines of like the CTO is saying, like, this is better. And the question is like, better how? And so he might say something like, oh, you know, it can support like much bigger scale. And then the following question is like, oh, is that like a problem that we actually have? Right? Like, is it, is it, is that something that was a complaint with the previous system, like with the previous system, were we ever saying, oh, well, you know, this is okay, but it's never really going to work out because it's not going to scale. Or if the, if the, the CTO says like, oh, but it's going to be so much faster, it's going to load so much faster, it's going to be, you know, more performant, then it's the question of like, oh, is that a complaint of the last one? Like, were we really unhappy with it because it just loaded slowly? You know, or something along those lines. Now, it sounds like the most compelling argument, um, just from what you've told me, the most compelling argument that he could have given would have been the the hackiness. And like, you see how it fell into disrepair and like, we can't get this working again. Like, we, we can't afford to let that happen, like, while we're depending on it. And so this new system is going to solve that problem for us. 
I think that would have been the most compelling argument, but I think it would have been very hard for him to make that argument convincingly. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, and I think that that's a good assessment that like that was probably the most, uh, yeah. I think I also like wanted to trust and like in the mm-hmm. CTO kind of thing a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like, you know, well, this is like your zone. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. This, yeah, you know? it's, yeah. It's like, this is why I hired you. So like, it, if I'm just going to do your job for you, then like, why did I, why am I wasting all this money? Totally, yeah, yeah. And so I think that was a, a, a good portion of the decision on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, you don't want to be like, hey, like, we've got this, like, really cool tech and, like, we want to, like, make it, you know, solve all our problems. And and you you come over and be like, no, <laughs> tech. <laughs> and then they just walk away with a pouty face and you're like, well, now we're going to get this done half as fast. Um, mm. And <laughs> so like, yeah, there's, I think, yeah, navigating around those moments of excitement to like, let's get excited about using boring tech because that's what mm-hmm. we need, mm-hmm. you know, um, would probably be a thing that a founder can use as a driving factor, right? Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like how to, you know, don't play to your like engineers feelings play to like, we're building this awesome company and you're a part of it. And this company uses boring tech. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's really exciting because you get to like build stuff you're familiar with. It all works. Like, (laughs) yeah it's like what yeah what are the yeah it's like where where do you want the trouble to be and it's like that effort really should just be on the product itself it's like the puzzle should be how do we make this useful or fun or engaging uh for the the user or the customer like that's not like how do we get this to to work you know for ourselves right and And the um, more we stand up like you know quote unquote boring services the more we get to build cool features right yeah yeah by the way the 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 aws uh stack was athena and glue um don't don't know about glue yeah athena i guess is the one that i can like just like pull big files out of s3 or something like that um i do i think i do remember somebody who who was really into that but uh, you heard it here, you know, don't, don't, <laughs> don't. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe AWS has figured out how it works by now. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, it, I think more along the line is it's not, don't use any particular technology. I think that, I think the lesson here is not don't use Athena. I think the lesson is don't let an engineer create some project when they have never used Athena and they yeah. don't know how it's going to how it's going to go like the, exactly the, like it could have just as easily have been another engineer saying hey I've never used BigQuery and Data Studio let's do it on that and if you didn't already have that 
like infrastructure and experience, like that also could have been a disaster just because they maybe didn't know how to do it or, or, or whatever. I think it's the, I think it's, it's not something that's necessarily new. It's just more new to them. Like that's the danger. And um, yeah, I, 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 you're talking about the engineering like emotions and the CTO. And I think that is probably the most interesting puzzle here, which is how do you have the conversation with them where you are not being antagonistic, where you're not like shutting them down and sucking all the joy out of their job, but still like having them effectively do their job, which, and I think part of that, I'm going to talk about the CTO for a second. I think part of their job is connecting the dots for you. Like, why is this the best choice for the company? And not in a binary way, but like, here are the different roads that we can go down. Here are the like advantages and drawbacks to each. And this is why this approach with these particular advantages and these particular drawbacks are the best choice for us. Like these advantages are the ones that we really care about more than anything else. And these drawbacks, like while not great, are really offset by our particular situation. And I don't think are really going to bite us as much as they would other people. Like that's ultimately the conversation that you want to get to. And I do think it does take a little bit of finesse and some intelligence to get them to approach it rationally and not get like emotionally attached to like whatever they think is the most fun. And sometimes like it's tricky to get them to like hold up that mirror or like be honest with themselves because I don't, I don't think in these cases they're like actively trying to lie to you. Like I think they're just lying to themselves or, or just choosing not to like pay attention to their emotions, which I think that's maybe that's the trick is like, how do you, how do you have those conversations? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, I do agree with you that like identifying all the like pros and cons and like working with like working through it together in a way like helps us like both arrive at the same result and like decision Mm -hmm. um without it being you know shutting someone down Mm. yeah actually yeah Uh, kind of to that point like i think i think those conversations can be easier if you if you establish the criteria ahead of time like for this project, like, what do we actually care about the most? Like, what are the goals? What are the non-goals? And then agreeing to those up front and then looking at all of the different choices and then trying to see, like, okay, does this actually cross off, like, all the things we need it to or not, right. you know? And then it's like, because then if they start going down, like, oh, but it's faster. It's like, okay, but that wasn't that wasn't one of the goals. So, like, right, you know, right. we can we can ignore that. Um, yeah, and, okay. and have the yeah. commonality of, you know, that software be one of those points <laughs> in there because, uh, you know, how much you can get support when it doesn't work is definitely a big factor. And if every engineer that you bring into this project has to be like, you know, start from zero on that technology, um, that's also a concern. Mm. Yeah. So, so actually, yeah, I think that's actually a great thing for people to be aware of is like, what, 
what are examples of these criteria that are useful? And so um, I think there's a, a bunch under the, the category of like risk, which would be like, it might be really important to you that you can survive attrition. Like, I think none of us wants developer attrition. Um, like, but what happens if we need to replace an engineer? Like, is that is that going to be a problem with this choice? Like, how resistant are we to, to like, issues arriving from swapping out developers? So that's, I think that's right. one. I think another umbrella in the risk is, is like, how, how familiar is the wider world with this? Like, if we, I guess it's kind of the same thing, but, like, if we needed to hire, like, a consultant to, like, help us figure this out, like, how many are there? Like, right. Or are there just like one specialist and, you know, it's going to be impossible to, to get them, you know, here, uh, or like, what are the forums like? What's the ecosystem? Like, yeah. Like what totally. is, what is getting help look like? I think those are, those are really big risk factors to, to look at. And then there's sort of one on the, uh, like in between, which is that like, if it was really important to you that this needed to be done and everyone's like pens down, like we're hands off this is running in two months like no like no messing around because two months from now we need to be moving on to like other things like we have a very limited time like that also you know is kind of related to risk which is like look just pick something that is that you know how it's gonna go because like we just can't afford to to be working on this after after two months, which, which is kind of like the reason why I say it's like kind of risk is also sort of like, it just might be speed. Like the other way of saying that is, is not the, the cost side, but the benefit side of like, whatever we choose has to get us up and running fast. And I think that's a, another important, especially for startups, like t time is everything. Like that runway is never getting longer really. Yep. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, when that with that technology choice and back to like rarity and things like that, you know, like there's also, um, you know, supply and demand mechanics, right? Where like, mm -hmm. like web developers are cheaper than C sharp developers because mm -hmm. they're way more common. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, we used hiring strategies where we'd hire 10 developers for a few weeks and keep three of them the three mm. best ones right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um that's a lot harder to do when <laughs> when there are only three <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, so yeah so let's uh let's actually talk about that because not many companies do that um it sounds like that that worked out well for you that's yeah absolutely um it it it's great because you can sort of you put together this like too big of a team you know initially um and you 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 know set up your jira tickets or whatever you see how people interact with each other and and the cream rises to the top um mm -hmm. and since mm -hmm. these are contractors um you know you're not you're the understanding is upfront, right that like this is currently a two-week job mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and then you know once you find the ones that you're gonna keep um you're like hey guys you know we want to we want you to stay and be part of the team mm -hmm. um 
did you yeah so like i guess i i got a couple oh, couple of questions in my mind like uh i guess f- first would be did you have were there any issues that you ran into dealing with contractors as opposed to like more traditional i guess what you would call like full-time employees um we so yeah like um i mean i don't know that it hmm, yeah so one thing that we found and like over time is that because we had we've had like a fluctuating team you know startup startup fun stuff um for for a few years um and the team worked best when there you know we had, to be exact we had one engineer in the u.s uh three overseas um and we got everybody really close, right? Our, mm-hmm. our total team was about seven of us, mm-hmm. um, including all those four en- engineers. Um, and we would do stuff like play video games on, you know, every other Friday um, mm-hmm. and things like that. And we like, we got people close, right? The, mm-hmm. the engineering team worked really well together. Um, there was that camaraderie and like, this is when uh, like, our whole team was the most effective Hmm. Um, at various moments as like runways were running out or like our, you know, thesis was like seemingly in jeopardy and, you know, we were waffling on what we were doing and things like that. Um, If the, we found that that like really affected progress. And so Hmm. like, when as soon as we lost one of those four developers um because of runway concerns mm-hmm. uh the like a couple of our other remote developers like seemingly became slightly less effective and mm. um the more that team sort of broke up the more we saw the remaining members like become slightly less effective and like these were you know these are also people that are like loyal pretty loyal and like pretty trustworthy and whatnot um like you know friends essentially i'd love to visit them all at Mm -hmm. some point um but i think that like and we were also pretty transparent with like where the company was at in various moments Mm -hmm. um but so yeah, I mean, it, it kind of felt like the more sort of freedom and independence our remote devs had, um, they couldn't help but take some advantage of it. Interesting. That is that, like, for me, hearing that story, I just I would imagine that any team with uh, layoffs would really suffer from from morale. Um, right. but I, I, I guess the idea is just that if it's, if it's remote and a contractor, then they, they can kind of disappear a little bit more easily or, or wallow a little bit more or something like that. But yeah. And like, no one's really like looking at Jira anymore. We're like not really managing that very well at that point. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's less visibility into like what's getting done. Um, you know, less like, yeah. Gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, so I think it's, it's interesting because I don't, I don't know how that would differ with like full-time, I guess, like in person. Um, but maybe, maybe the, the way that that would work is, even if there's layoffs or things that are, that are, you know, like whatever the opposite of a morale booster is, then that can be buoyed by being in person and commiserating together or something like that. But, um, yeah, I also think that, that accountability is a, a big part of that, right. Mm -hmm. Where like someone in an office is just like accountable by sheer factor of their time and what's on their screen when you walk by. Right. <laughs> sure. Um, and, you know, and of course, like something like Jira is a better way, but like there is like, you know, as having been a developer, like there's a mental, like, you know, I need to do right by this company and like, mm -hmm. you know, the, like someone seeing that I'm not doing right by this company is like a worse reality than like, uh, you know, I do a little thing on the side and they never notice cause I'm still getting my work done. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the, and I think you can like, you know, anyone can slip, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you can think that you can handle two gigs when the fact is like, they're both going to suffer. Right? <laughs> right. Um, and so there's, I think some of that, that just, accountability systems come into play um mm -hmm. and so like you know it's got to be a tool like jira you know always but but there is a certain amount of accountability by just like being in office um, that's mm -hmm. like built into it right yeah uh, and i think so that's what, also mean, why a lot of managers like the in-office thing that, right? yeah and you get you get some of that stuff by default instead of having to like build those systems uh yourself right. um I was going to ask, like, what what other processes or or um, I guess techniques like worked well for you? Like, I really liked hearing about the one where you would overhire and then um, sort of filter down. I mean, one of the reasons why I love that real quick is just I feel like it is so hard to predict the future. I mean, like trying to figure out whether or not you want to marry someone on like the first or second date is just that's rough. Totally. Like, you know, so, so I really like the idea that you sort of do this like temp, you know, or, or like trial period and just know that not all of them are going to work out and some are really going to surprise you and do awesome. And you're just, you know, you want to, you want to just evaluate them in the most like natural, uh, environment that like you know reflects what the real work is going to be i think that's that's awesome uh, but do you did, was there anything else that that process or technique wise worked really well for you uh i think like you know i mean there's a lot of uh, meetings are of course like something that can be debated with whether they're useful and effective and worth their money um mm -hmm. for us i think that like getting people on camera and like having a like a rapport with them mm -hmm. um 
both helped us like pick out some folks that were ultimately kind of bad seeds in one way or another mm -hmm. work-wise. Okay, and this um, is because you could like see how they were reacting on camera that you otherwise that would otherwise be invisible, or was it something else? Yeah, it was like a little bit of that, like you know, yeah, how how they're reacting, how they're making excuses um, for various various things, and like what excuses they're making, like in the moment, and then mm -hmm. like tying that back to like you know your Slack or Discord um conversations like i just felt like that was valuable both in or that is valuable both in um you know determining like quality of person to some degree mm -hmm. um and also like building rapport and and respect between each other right mm -hmm. which like mm -hmm. ultimately is going to make you work great together sure. um I don't think that those meetings have to be all the time. I think they, but they, I do think that like, you know, maybe like a short one once a week as a check-in is mm -hmm. a good thing. Mm -hmm. And were those, those were like uh, sort of entire, like whole company or, or one-on-one -on -one that you're talking about? Um, we, when we had a, a larger site, when we, when we were like, you know, six or seven, we would do whole company. Um, when it was a little bigger than that, we would do just, you know, engineering separate from the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we did have whole company moments, which were like our, uh, you know, rec room moments where we're playing mm -hmm. among us together and things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's funny is, um, this has already happened on, on the podcast is <laughs> my guests know how I feel about standups. And so there's almost like this, like, you know, <laughs> like sheepishness about like, you know, we've got meetings, but you know, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think I just, I'll, I'll say it again. I think the important thing is that it works that it works. Like if it, if it works and it is, it is an effective or like cost effective, uh, use of resources, like keep doing it. Like, I don't, you know, I got no problem with it. I, um, I just, you know, I'll, I'll throw in my little soapbox bit, which is that where I think it becomes a problem is that people will just like, Oh, this is what you do for agile. Like you've got standups. And what'll wind up happening is those standups just either like it's like so many companies, like it's so hard to keep it to 15 minutes. And like the reason why they'll call they are called standups is to make it uncomfortable enough so that they stay 15 minutes. But like right. it's just this, like that's that's the tension. You're always fighting that. So I don't I don't like that. I don't like the idea of this meeting that has like that is always trying to balloon out. Um, and then the other thing that I don't love about it is not being honest about what the purpose is. So I do think rapport is incredibly important, right? And if that's what you were getting out of the meetings and you didn't want to get it a different way, and that's what you wanted to preserve, by all means, like that is hugely important. Could not, could not agree more. Um, I don't love it when companies do the stand-ups that they say they're doing for like agile reasons, 
But then when you want to take them away, they say like, oh, no, no, but we need it for rapport. Because I think right. my response for that is just like, okay, then we'll create a rapport meeting. Like, just <laughs> like concentrate and focus on the one outcome that you seem to really care about. Like, because, because I don't, I don't like saying, you know, okay, well then take away the standups because like then the response isn't like, oh, but then how could we possibly know what the engineers are working on? Because everyone tends to automatically know what, you know, what the engineers are working on, you know, or they might say like, oh, but you know, I want them to be like transparent. It's like, but that's usually not the response. The response is like, oh, but I want X. And it's like, okay, well then create a meeting for X. Like that's, that's, I'll get off the soapbox, but I don't have a problem with meetings. I have a problem with meetings that aren't really targeted towards the goal that you're that you're looking for yeah that's that's totally <laughs> fair uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure you saw this but i think it was like shopify that like put a widget into their google calendar that like yeah. the cost of a meeting <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's it's Love it's that. a lot you know you just yeah. you know like multiple like you add a large multiplier to the to you know just for every person in the meeting and you know most people are just not they're they're either not paying attention or they're not talking for huge chunks of that time and that's almost by definition like wasteful right you yeah know, like like yeah. if not everyone is really going to be paying attention and getting a lot of value from that meeting as opposed to an email or like a slack message or or any number of other things um then then that's a waste for them on the receiving end and and if they're not going to be talking you know or communicating like that's also i i I, yeah i think you just got to be careful i think is is the the gist um from my from my point of view yeah and there's 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 like a i think i feel like you know it's it should be ultra rare that any meeting should be larger than like six or seven people right Mm, like mm -hmm. the just laugh at like some of the corporate like calls that I've been on with like companies (laughs) where everyone's got to be included. Yeah. And there's like 14 (laughs) people on the call and you're like, (laughs) it's just you (laughs) representing your company. And you're like, uh, you guys sure you all need to be here. (laughs) Like I had a couple questions like what the heck? And like at least half of the people are asleep. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I definitely, like, I know, I, like, I, I, I've definitely heard of, uh, companies. I think we, we, that maybe we both know of that had to like really lay down the law, uh, and try and eliminate meetings because they felt like people were just hiding in meetings. It was just like a way for them to like fill the day without having to, to do anything else. And, and, sort of like what you say like they're just asleep it's like cool like you got this this time on your calendar that you're theoretically working but you get to to sleep and that's not that's not super great tyler this has been great where can people find out more about you online um well i'm on linkedin uh and then additionally uh check out polycade um we've got uh, a new version of our product coming soon that um is implementing massive optimizations um nice so we're finally really really getting our chops on the hardware front and um and even this uh this should have some extremely exciting software additions as well so uh, keep a lookout for that in the next couple months here exciting perfect well thank you for joining me today 
Thanks for having me. Uh, good times as always, David. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for the Superstruck Show.